uh, it's been a blessing to be with you all and uh, to uh, fellowship with you and to hear uh, all the messages. Those have been very uh, encouraging to me, and uh, it's just been good to be with uh, God's people and uh, always a privilege anytime we can get together um, this kind of congregation I think is what we're going to experience in glory uh, in that new heaven and new earth we're going to be together praising God praising our Lord Jesus Christ for eternity and uh, we uh, if we don't enjoy that now as it's been said, something's wrong. And uh, and we have to have uh, the right um, the right attitude when we worship, when we preach, because uh, I think we have to get both right. To the, the, the morning's uh, messages really, I think, were complimentary. There is a, a doctrinal content of the Bible that we must get right. And we must uh, rightly divide it according to a proper hermeneutic, making sure that we're drawing out from the text, not putting into the text. That's absolutely essential. But at the same time, the Word of God and the faith has an emotional content and an experiential content. And if we don't have... If someone gets up here and preaches the gospel, but they don't rejoice in it, something's wrong. It's uh, We've not preached. We've not... Uh, or if we're singing and we're just... Uh, phoning it in and we don't really care uh, we're not really glorifying God it has to be uh, not just with the mind not just with the mouth but with our heart our whole being yeah. worshiping him and uh, I think we've done that here yeah. and uh, we'll just uh, we're going to be looking at one parable of Jesus this afternoon uh, so if you have your Bibles and you'd like to follow along with us, you can turn to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 20. Matthew, chapter 20. We've been uh, preaching a series through the Gospel of Matthew at home. And this is a, a wonderful book, uh, a wonderful Gospel account that uh, we have here. And... Uh, this parable we're going to read is one of those that is unique to Matthew. Uh, it's the parable of the workers in the vineyard. The parable of the workers in the vineyard. Um, just to set the stage, of course, in this gospel, Jesus has been progressively uh, revealing himself more and more to be the Messiah. He is the Christ. And uh, people are beginning to recognize that. Of course, uh, the disciples, the apostles recognize this. Remember Peter's great confession. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Uh, but then other people, as Jesus is ministering to them, they say things like this. Son of David, have mercy on me. <laughs> they recognize him. That's a, a messianic title. And so more and more they're, they're seeing this. And uh, Jesus has been teaching his disciples. In Matthew 18... Jesus is taught about uh, offenses. He teaches them that uh, true greatness is achieved through humility. 
you remember he said he took the little child and uh, set him in the midst and said whosoever shall humble himself as this little child the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven and uh, this parent this uh, this idea of humility keeps uh, coming up in his later teaching as well uh, he teaches in chapter 19 he, he answers the Pharisees concerning marriage and divorce. And then after that, he receives little children and blesses them. He speaks to the rich young ruler, um, which we're going to circle back at that. But do you remember what, what happened with that? Verse 16 of Matthew 19. And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. Of course, the man said, which commandment? And Jesus said, uh, all these commandments. And uh, in chapter, in verse 20, the young man saith unto him, all these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? Jesus said unto him, if thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast and give to the poor and thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. What would your attitude be if uh, the Lord Jesus was standing in front of you personally and said, come and follow me? Wouldn't that be the greatest moment of our life? But this young man in verse 22, when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. So that's that's sad. We don't know if he ever came back. I hope that he did. And then uh, in verse uh 23 let's just look at the, at the rest of this he jesus says right on the heels of this verily i say unto you that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven and again i say unto you it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of god and uh, of course the disciples were amazed verse 25 when his disciples heard it they were exceedingly amazed saying who then can be saved but Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Um, then Peter asked this question, verse 27. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? And uh, just like this rich young ruler didn't leave all and follow Jesus apparently, well, Peter said, We've done this. What are we going to get? What is our reward going to be? And Jesus says in verse 28, Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration, that is in the, the new creation, the next age, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Which... Uh, Think about that. I'm sure Peter was not expecting that answer, that they're going to sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, that's the glorious future that lies ahead for them. So are they going to have a reward? Absolutely, for their faithfulness. Jesus emphasizes that in the last two verses. And everyone that hath forsaken houses, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, Shall, rece shall receive a hundredfold and shall inherit eternal, uh, everlasting life. And then he says this, but many that are first 
shall be last, and the last shall be first. At work, and, then he, and then he begins to give this parable, the parable of the workers in the vineyard. But before we get into that, I want, to, I want you to notice something. He says in verse 30, Many that are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. But if you turn over to Matthew chapter 20, and then go all the way down to verse 16, at the end of this parable, what do you have? So the last shall be first, and the first last. For many be called, but few chosen. Did you notice that? These are essentially saying the same thing. Um, Whenever we come to study the scripture, one uh, helpful tool of hermeneutics is sometimes it helps to ignore the chapter divisions. Uh, These are not part of the uh, inspired record. Um, So, for instance, when Matthew was writing his gospel, he didn't say chapter 20. (laughs) That was divided later. And those, for the most part, were done well. The person who did that historically, I think, did a good job. But, however, they're not perfect. And here, I think this is one of those instances where probably the last verse of chapter 19 would be best grouped with what we have in chapter 20. Because it's you see how that lines up with what we see in verse 16. This is a literary technique known as inclusio. And you don't have to understand that, but the it just means bookends. This same repeated thought brackets what's in between and that means they're both pointing to what's in between and so this is the theme of this parable many that are first shall be last and the last shall be first so let's just read this parable now you've gotten the context you know what has just transpired and it's connected to what we just read Matthew chapter 20, verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is an householder, which went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard. So this, uh, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a householder. That householder is a a landowner. Uh, And in this story, it's a, a man who owns and operates a vineyard. So that's the householder. And it says, what did he do? He went out early in the morning to hire laborers in, into his vineyard. And we're going to see he's going to hire some right here, right off the bat at the, uh, at the break of day, which in the you know, general time scheme would be about 6 a.m. He's going out apparently even before that to go down and hire these laborers to get started at about 6 a.m. Verse 2. And when he had agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, he sent them into his vineyard. So he agreed with these laborers. He found people uh, who were a day laborers and they were ready to be hired. We, you, you might do that today. You might go down to a Home Depot if you're building a deck. You might find some guys there who can help you for the day. There you go. That's right. That's, see? Good thought. <laughs> go Home Depot. Go to Lowe's. Uh, just see who's milling around. <laughs> uh, yes, and so this man uh, owns a vineyard. Why does he need day laborers? Well, most of the time uh, when you have a vineyard, you're uh, getting everything ready, and then you, you wait for the fruit to come on. Uh, and then, you know, in those days, you might have a tower where you could even watch over the fruit. 
Ah, but when the time of harvest comes, it needs to come off. And uh, you need more, you need help at that point to, to bring in the harvest. I think that's probably what's going on here. He needed this, these extra laborers at this time for the harvest. And it says he went and hired them for a penny a day. Now to us in our American dollars, that doesn't sound like a lot, but this is literally a denarius, which is a, a Roman coin roughly equivalent to a one day's wage. So this is one day's work. You're getting paid one day's wage. Very fair. And they agreed. Did you see that? When he had agreed with the laborers. This is mutually acceptable. This is our agreement. And then verse 3. And he, the householder, the landowner, went out about the third hour. And so this would be about 9 a.m. The third hour. And saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And said unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard. And whatsoever is right, I will give you. And they went their way. So he went out and he needed more laborers. And so he hired more at the, at uh, 9 a.m., the third hour. And uh, did you notice something different, though? These laborers didn't agree on a price. They didn't agree on a wage. The vineyard owner specifically said, whatever is right, I'll give you. And you know what? They didn't, they didn't, uh, they weren't sticklers and said, well, I'm going to have to have some kind of uh, (laughs) guarantee here. No, they said, yes, we'll go work and whatever's right, we'll take it. And not only these, but verse five, again, he went out at about the sixth hour. So noon and ninth hour, 3 p.m. and did likewise. And about the 11th hour. So this would be 5 p.m. There's just one, one hour left of working. The master of the vineyard still goes and hires more workers. He went out and found others standing idle. They're just standing around. They're just there. And saith unto them, Why stand ye here all the day idle? They say unto him, Because no man hath hired us. No one's hired us. He saith unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard. And whatsoever is right, that shall ye receive. So, He even hired some people at 5 p.m. Mm -hmm. And they go and work in the vineyard as well. Finally, verse 8. So when even, or the evening, was come, the Lord of the vineyard saith unto his steward, or who what we might call a foreman, he's going to be paying the people, saith unto his steward, call the laborers and give them their hire, that is, give them their wages, beginning from the last unto the first. This was the special instruction that the master of the vineyard said, you pay them, uh, but I want you to put them in a particular order. You pay those last workers first. You pay, the, you pay them in reverse order. You pay the 11th hour workers, then the 9th hour and the 6th hour and the 3rd hour workers. Then you hire those, then you bring the first workers. And I don't know what the foreman was thinking. He said, this is strange, but okay, this is what we'll do. Verse 9. And when they came that were hired about the eleventh hour, they received every man a penny. Now, remember, these are the men who just worked one hour. They came at 5 p.m. and just sort of, they probably barely got started and it was time to quit. And they received a whole day's wage. 
that uh, that is amazing and then uh you can see also we don't have it recorded here but uh who else came they received also everyone's getting a penny and verse 10 but when the first came they supposed that they should have received more can you visualize this they're lined up there the people in the, that came first they're in the back and they're watching they see the 11th hour people they say oh, he got a penny he got a whole denarius oh, the next one they got a whole denarius and the next one they got a denarius what did they think we're going to get more surely we'll get more i mean we've been here all day if they got a denarius for one hour's work i mean we might get five or six they thought they should receive more but at the end of verse 10 and they likewise received every man a penny they got their denarius and when they had received it they murmured against the goodman of the house that's the same word as householder this is the master of the vineyard the landowner they murmured against him what did they say verse 12 saying these last have wrought or worked but one hour and thou hast made them equal unto us which have borne the burden and heat of the day they complain that they've just gotten a penny but then the master of the vineyard says this verse 13 but he answered one of them and said friend i do thee no wrong didst not thou agree with me for a penny that was the deal don't you remember at the beginning of this work day that was the arrangement and i gave you exactly what i promised you a penny but now you're going to complain against me verse 14 take that thine is take what is yours and go your way depart there's a note of rebuke here. Get out of my sight. I will give unto this last, even as unto thee. And when he says, I will, that means I want to. I want to give to these last to, as much as I gave you. Verse 15. Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with mine own? Isn't it lawful for me to do whatever I want with my wages, with my money? Is thine eye evil? Because I am good. This uh, evil eye among the Jews at this time, there was an expression. It indicated covetousness and envy. He said, just because I'm good and generous, is that going to make you stingy and miserly? It's not fitting. So the last shall be first, and the first last, for many be called but few chosen. You see the first and the last? There were first and last in the workers, weren't there? So, think about this. What's the, what's the point of this parable? That's what we want to talk about. What is the meaning of this parable? Uh, sometimes, we have when Jesus gives a parable, he turns around and gives us the interpretation of the parable. And those are great. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, it's all very straightforward. Yeah. Jesus tells us what he means. This is not like that. This is one of those parables he gives it to us, and he's left it to us to discern and determine what he's getting at. He's not. This is not about agriculture. He's not making a point about fair labor practices. No, this has a spiritual right. meaning. Right. 
this is uh, this has a spiritual uh, purpose, and we're going to try to discern that. But think about just the the terms of uh, what we've seen here. What's at the center stage? It's the landowner and his generosity. Think about this. It's astounding. Anyone running a farm today who paid his workers a full day's wage for one hour of work, they'd soon go out of business. Um, The landowner is unimaginably, impossibly generous. And yet the goodness of the landowner only makes the first workers murmur at him. They grumble and complain and slander the landowner, wrongfully accusing him of being unfair. So, as we take a look at this and interpret this, uh, what we want to do is uh, approach this from the top down. And what I mean is we're going we're gonna to look first at these brackets. This thought, the last shall be first and the first last, that is the theme, that is the moral of this story. That the first will be last and last first. If we can figure out what that means... We can understand what this parable means. And did you know that this is not the only time we find this expression in Scripture? We can look and see where else Jesus has said this. And it will help us to understand what he means here. So first, the first place we find this is in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 13. So if you want to turn there, Luke chapter 13. This is uh, Jesus as he's... uh, Speaking to the multitude here, teaching, we have this exchange with Jesus. Luke chapter 13, verse 23. Then said one unto him, Lord, are there few that be saved? And he said unto them, Strive to enter in at the straight gate, the narrow gate, the tight gate. For many... I say unto you, will seek to enter in, and shall not be able. When once the master of the house is risen up, and hath shut to the door, and ye begin to stand without, outside, and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us. And he shall answer and say unto you, I know you not whence you are. Then shall you begin to say, We have eaten and drunk in thy presence, and thou hast taught in our streets. But he shall say, I tell you, I know you not whence ye are. Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth when ye shall see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and you yourselves thrust out. And they shall come from the east and from the west and from the north, and from the south, and shall sit down in the kingdom of God. And behold, there are last which shall be first, and there are first which shall be last. There's the phrase. There's the expression. And so Jesus has been teaching here. What is he getting at here? He's talking about entrance to the kingdom of God. Uh, At the time of final judgment, what does he say? Many in that wicked generation of Jews will be thrust out of the kingdom. He says they're going to grieve as they see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the prophets go in. They're going to be excluded. Who's going to enter the kingdom? 
the many from the west and the east and the north and the south, these are Gentiles who are being brought in to the kingdom. This generation of Jews, many are going to be cast out, but the Gentiles are going to have it. They're going to enter in. So the teaching here, who are the first that shall be last? Those Jews who rejected Christ, they're going to be last. And who are the last which shall be first? Well, it's the Gentiles who received Christ. There's this great reversal. That's the first uh, place we notice these phrases. And then there's one more we want to look at in Matthew chapter 22. So back in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22, this is another parable. The parable of the wedding feast. And let's just briefly read this. And we'll see... uh, how this expression is uh, is here. We have, um, remember that other little phrase that Jesus used at the end of the parable, many be called, but few chosen. We find this phrase here in Matthew 22. Let's just begin reading in verse 1. And Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king, which made a marriage for his son. And sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden, those who were invited to the wedding. And they would not come. Again he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready. Come unto the marriage. But they made light of it, and went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. And the remnant, the rest of them, took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth, furious, and he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Then saith he to his servants, The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Those who first invited were not worthy. Go ye therefore into the highways, And as many as ye shall find, bid to the marriage. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all as many as they found, both bad and good. And the wedding was furnished with guests. So you see, those who were on the the first guest list didn't come to the feast. Now he's bringing in others. And then we have this extra portion of uh, of this parable here, verse 11. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. And he saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither, not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then said the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, and take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. There it is again. Many are called, but few are chosen. And what's the context here again? You see, the Jews who were invited first, but did not come, will be judged. This is speaking about uh, Christ and his call to the kingdom. Specifically, this is speaking of that period of time after his death and resurrection where the gospel is going to be preached. The Jews are not going to receive it by and large. They were invited first, but they will not come. But the Gentiles 
we were not even on the first guest list. Nevertheless, they're going to be gathered together. And those who were properly attired in the wedding garments, I think that's speaking of Christ's righteousness, those will partake of the wedding feast. So when Jesus says many are called, that's primarily those Jews who were first invited to the wedding. Few are chosen. Those are those of all nations who came trusting in Christ. They're going to enter the kingdom. So what do we have here again? It's another parable of Gentile exclusion, uh, excuse me, Jewish exclusion and Gentile inclusion. All right. So now let's bring this back to Matthew chapter 20 and we'll give the interpretation of this parable. And I think this is the primary application. The parable of the workers in the vineyard is primarily an illustration of and rebuke of the attitude of the Jewish leaders in that day toward the many classes of people that they considered inferior. In particular, they resented this Jesus who openly associated with and preached to these unworthy people. Jesus had the audacity to say that the coming eternal kingdom of God was open to all who would enter in. And so let's read through this. The kingdom of heaven. That's why he says in verse 1 of chapter 20, the kingdom of heaven. This is a kingdom parable. He's speaking about the coming eternal kingdom of God. And we have the householder. Who would that represent? Well, of course, this is God. God himself is the landowner. Very often in these parables, God is represented as the owner of a vineyard. Uh, you have it in uh, the parable of the wicked husbandman and the parable of the two sons, or even the parable of the barren fig tree in which it was planted in a vineyard. Uh, so God is obviously the householder. He's this generous one. And it says in verse 2, when he had agreed with the laborers for a penny a day. That is, the laborers had a contract with the landowner for a definite payment for specific work to be done. These first laborers would represent the nation of Israel. You see, Israel had a contract with God. Another name for a contract is a covenant. And Israel has a covenant with God, what the author of Hebrews calls the first covenant or the old covenant. Uh, it's also called the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. The Mosaic covenant. This was the agreement. And you see, this is connected with the conversation that Jesus had with the rich young ruler. Do you remember that? The rich young ruler. He's an example of one of these who are represented in the first workers. Remember, he came to Jesus and said, what must I do to uh, have eternal life? And Jesus said, if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. Now, doesn't that sound strange to our ears? We would expect to hear Jesus say, if you want to have life, believe on me. That's not the point he was making there. He says, keep the commandments. He's pointing him to this first covenant. And uh, he's engaging him because this 
rich young ruler is coming on the basis of this covenant. He says, all you have to do then is keep the commandments. That's, that's, those were the terms of the first covenant. Paul says in Romans 10, Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. So Israel has a contract with God, and they've had it from the very beginning, from early in the morning. But then, later in the day, God begins to call others into his vineyard. He says in verse 4, to those workers, go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, I will give you. Notice this. This is the essential difference. These later workers don't come on the basis of a covenant of works or a definite payment for services rendered. What do they come? They simply come on the basis of free grace. They trust the landowner and leave their payment to his discretion. And they come at the third hour, and the sixth hour, and the ninth hour, and the eleventh hour. Who are these specific different groups of people we don't, uh, I don't think it's necessarily telling us that uh, each group, uh, each, each group of people called at a particular hour represent a particular people. But I, let me tell you some of the ones who uh, they do represent, these later workers. First, they represent sinners. In the next chapter, Jesus is going to tell the Pharisees that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. Uh, and remember, it was the Pharisees who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. But Jesus said he didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That was one of the reasons that the Pharisees resented the ministry of Jesus. Also, why they resented John's ministry, because the the, uh, the publicans and the harlots repented at John's preaching. The Pharisees should have rejoiced, but instead they just got mad. So first they represent sinners. They also represent, these later workers represent the poor and the common people who were of no renown in that day. Remember Jesus when he was in the synagogue and he uh, stood up to read. He said, he said uh, or he sat down to read, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. And that's who we find Jesus ministering to. Um, think of the disciples. Uh, they appear to be of no great reputation. Many of them were fishermen. But then what did Jesus just also say in the last chapter? A rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. Some of these later workers like, likely represent the Samaritans, those half-Gentile descendants of the ancient Jews. In this day, what do we read? The Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. But it was Jesus who ministered to a Samaritan woman. And many in that town believed on him. And later in another parable, the parable of the Good Samaritan, uh, it, was, it was the Good Samaritan who loved his neighbor, not the legalistic priest or Levite. And finally, those who were called at the 11th hour represent the Gentiles. You and me. Those who for centuries were left in blindness and darkness without uh, 
uh, with so little knowledge of the true God. And you hear what they said when they were in the marketplace. No man hath hired us. They were left in the dark until God came and called them into the vineyard. Jesus appears. You know what he does? He even ministers to Gentiles like that Syrophoenician woman who came to him and begs as a dog for the children's crumbs. And for this saying, Jesus heals her daughter. Or the centurion who comes to Jesus begging him to heal his servant. And Jesus marvels, I have not found so great faith. No, not in Israel. And Jesus also says, many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. And of course, we know this was only the beginning of a massive conversion of Gentiles across the Roman Empire. Now, how did the, uh, that generation of Jews and the Pharisees, how did they react to all this as it unfolded? Were they, did they rejoice when sinners were saved? Did they rejoice that the poor had the gospel preached to them? Did they rejoice when the Samaritans and even the Gentiles came to know the true God? No, they did not rejoice. They murmured against God. They said, wait a second. Verse 12, these last have wrought but one hour and thou hast made them equal unto us which have borne the burden and heat of the day. You mean that you're going to bring these uncircumcised Gentiles into the kingdom of God when we're the ones who for centuries have observed the external ordinances of the Mosaic law and all of its demands. And now they just get to come in. You make them equal with us. How dare you, God? Put us on inequality. But what was God's answer? Verse 13, he answered one of them and said, Friend, I do thee no wrong. Didst not thou agree with me for a penny? You had a covenant. And if you had received the one whom I have sent, you would enter the kingdom of heaven, just as they do. But you rejected him. You would not come. He says, take that thine is and go thy way. I think we hear a note of rebuke in those words. Because those that generation of Jewish leaders who rejected Christ, they were uh, left in darkness. They were left in weeping and gnashing of teeth. And we know ultimately, just in the 40 years from when Jesus speaks to them here, Jerusalem was sieged, the temple was destroyed. And uh, since that time, the Jewish people have been without a temple and without a uh, all these ordinances of the first covenant. This is what Jesus is speaking about here. And you see what he's pointing at. He's pointing at this great reversal. The, uh, the scribes and Pharisees, who in their own minds were first place before God, they're, going to, they're not even going to enter into the kingdom because they're seeking to come on their own works and they've rejected the one whom he has sent. But... These others, the later workers, the sinners, the Samaritans, the Gentiles, they're going to enter in. Many that 
Uh, the last shall be first and the first last. Many be called, but few chosen. That's, the, that's who pri- primarily Jesus is addressing here. But I want to say this. There's also another application. There's a secondary application for us. Did you know that it is possible even for we who are saved, we who are uh, the children of God by faith now, we can begin to have the same mind as these Pharisees when it comes to others. We can begin to think that God owes us something. We begin to say, we've borne the burden and the heat of the day. And you owe us, God. Actually, you owe us more. We can uh, begin to think that it's good that these others are saved, but we're in first place. Um, sometimes we can be envious because of the goodness of God. You see, when God is good to our brothers and sisters, maybe he blesses them in a special way, in a way that he hasn't blessed us. Maybe he's given them abilities that he hasn't given us. Maybe he's given them opportunities he hasn't given us or resources. We can sometimes become bitter. The goodness of God can cause us to be embittered. And we think, doesn't God see? Doesn't he know? I deserve that. That same mindset so easily slips into our minds, into our hearts, and we can become murmurers against God. Who, who should we, how should we think? Who are we? We're those who were hired at the 11th hour. Don't forget that. In fact, I think you and me, we were here, we were probably hired at 5.59 and 59 seconds. And God's given us the kingdom. He's brought us off the street and he's taken us into the wedding feast and he's set us down at the king's table. We don't deserve to be there. But it's only by his goodness that we're there. Don't forget that. What do you think those 11th hour workers thought when they got to the foreman and they were paid a whole denarius? They said, this is great. This is the best day of my life. This is... What a landowner. What a master. And uh, that's how we ought to be. We don't... uh, We have to be on guard that we don't have the same... uh, pharisaical mindset you say why did those pharisees act that way they had the same flesh and blood as you and i have they have the same carnal mind we've been renewed we've been saved but do we still have the same flesh the same same temptations absolutely we do so uh, my exhortation to you would be this praise god for his unfathomable goodness and which he has extended toward gentiles Gentile sinners like us. What a God. What a Savior. Thank you for your attention.